Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Thoughts on my mind at this very moment are what they always are when I walk up here. I don't feel worthy to stand up here in this place. I never have. (laughs) Uh, I hope you'll pray for me this morning, and so here we are. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the book of Revelation. Let's go to the first chapter just to start out with. I'm going to go to the end of this chapter and just begin our message this morning on uh, what the first three chapters are all about. In verse 19 and 20, this is Jesus Christ, of course, speaking to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. He was exiled there for preaching the gospel. But we find that even there he was uh, in fellowship with the Lord. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So we understand from the very beginning that this book is written in symbolism, and Jesus Christ is giving us a key to some of the language that's used in this book. So we know the seven stars that he is about to comment upon are the angels or the pastors of the churches that are going to be mentioned here. And we know the candlesticks are the churches themselves. And as we go through these first three chapters of this book, Jesus Christ gives a commentary of each of these individual churches. Now, we can be sure that he has a commentary on our church. He's had a commentary on every church in every age. And we will notice that um, some of the churches that are mentioned here in these first three chapters are actual churches that we have epistles from first one he mentions is Ephesus, and so we've got the epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And I think as we read this, if I was one of the angels or the pastors of the church and I read this commentary from John, I would say, these are some things that I better be preaching on at my church because this is the commentary that Jesus Christ has given on this particular church. (laughs) Be nice to have that, wouldn't it, (laughs) this morning? Uh, I'm sure Dan would love to have it. So let's go to one of these churches. I want to go to the uh, last one that's mentioned, the Church of the Laodiceans. We're going to go through this church, and I want you to see the commentary that Jesus Christ has on this church. As we read this, we're going to find that Jesus has nothing good to say about this church. Now, that's pretty sad, isn't it? If you have a church and Jesus Christ has nothing good to say about it, and I will remind you, sometimes we forget this, but the church, that's us, by the way, that, that's the membership of the church that he's commenting on. It's not just some, something spiritual floating around over there. <laughs> no. When we talk about the church, we're talking about every individual member of the church and even the attendees of a particular church. And so uh, he has nothing good to say about this church. Now, one of the other churches you read of in the very beginning, the church at Smyrna, he has nothing bad to say about that church. So it's interesting, uh, the commentary that Jesus Christ has about every one of these churches. As we go through this, I want you to notice something. Jesus doesn't say anything 
negative about the doctrine of this church. Now, he does some of the other churches. Now, holds the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, I believe, is one of them. So, that tells me that it's possible for a church to have their doctrine, their view of their salvation correct, that part of the doctrine, but yet have everything else wrong. You could be a person this morning that understands election, predestination, the sovereignty of God, the everlasting covenant, exactly how you were saved. And you could boast about it. You could say, I know more than that church down the road. I've got this knowledge. I understand it. But yet Jesus Christ's commentary on you or me might not be the same as we have of our own selves. That's a sobering thought when we read through this as I think about this church. Now, Let's look at verse 15 and 16, and this is where... We'll start at verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, that's another... uh, Some titles of Jesus Christ. He has titles in every one of these churches of Himself. Verse 15. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now the problem with this church he gives in the very beginning, it's their works. (laughs) He knows their works. (laughs) He knows my works. And you know, works are important to the Lord. Uh, you know, grace is important. We want to understand grace. But what we do should be important to us as well because it's important to Jesus. Now, we have some criticism by people that don't believe grace as we do. And one of those criticisms is, well, those PBs over there, those primitive Baptists, they don't think you're supposed to do anything. I mean, I've actually heard it. Well, they confuse what we believe concerning our eternal destiny, our eternal salvation, and what we believe about how we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, we don't believe you do anything to gain your eternal salvation. We believe that Jesus Christ accomplished that upon the cross. When He said it is finished, that's what He said was finished. He finished the salvation of His people. He paid for the price of all the sins of all of God's family, the elect family of God. But you know, we might believe that and we might forget how important that our works are to God. And I think that's something that sometimes we take for granted. Well, he says, um, you're lukewarm. Now, lukewarm might be okay for some things if you're going to take a bath. But now, if you're going to drink a glass of iced tea on a hot day, how would you like somebody to hand you a lukewarm glass of tea? Or you get up in the morning and you're looking forward to that cup of coffee, and it's lukewarm. Don't you just want to kind of pour it out? I'm going to get another one. I'm going to pour this out and find me another cup of coffee, and I'm going to make me another glass. Well, for the Lord's, I'm just going to get another church somewhere. He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That word, if you look it up, means vomit. In other words, this church is nauseating to God 
Mm. How's that for a commentary of a church <laughs> that might even know how they were saved? <laughs> that, that's pretty bad. Then we come to verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, that, that, that verse there gives us this interesting thought on the way that Jesus sees a church or us and the way that we see us or the church might see itself. You know, a church might think that they're perfect. They don't need anything through their own eyes. But through the eyes of Jesus Christ, they're poor. They're wretched. They're naked. They're miserable. Now this morning, how would it be in our own personal lives if we were to say, Lord, I would like to see myself through your eyes. How, how do you think that Jesus Christ would judge you this morning? And He does. He does. I would like to know how Jesus Christ would judge, sees me. Because I know that it is not possible unless I'm really begging to see myself as I am in God's eyes. I think that's a worthy prayer for every one of us every day is that the Lord would enable us to see ourselves in the exact way that He sees us. But see, He's telling this church, you see one thing and I see something else. And then in verse 18, He gives them some counsel. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with salve, that thou mayest see. He's giving them some counsel, and he's really calling upon them to do some things. And the things that they're going to have to do is going to be painful. You know, it's painful to make a change in your life, isn't it? That's why we don't make changes in our lives. It's because it's painful. <laughs> if you've ever had to make a big change in your life, you know how painful that that has been. And the Lord calls upon us all the time to make changes in our lives. We get in this little thing of complacency. I'm comfortable. I'm lukewarm right here. I'm not going to make any change in my life. And we just live a stagnant life. But for anybody to get any better, it's going to have to do with Jesus is speaking about making some changes. It's going to be a painful experience. Verse 19. This is the solution. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Repentance. Now that's always a solution to our problems. Repentance really means to turn around and go the other direction. And that's a hard thing to do when you're going in the wrong direction. And he's also calling up on them to be zealous. Zeal. 
Being zealous means that you're really excited about something. You're involved in it. You want to be, you want to do whatever you can to see something prosper. We're very zealous sometimes in the things that we enjoy doing. We're maybe sometimes very zealous at deer hunting and fishing and uh, clubs and other things that we're involved in. I mean, we're going to know all about it. We're going to be right there on the spot. We want to be the person. We want to be very knowledgeable of everything that's going on in that particular area. But sometimes in the church, we just take it for granted. We're not zealous. We're just lukewarm. Lukewarm. Verse 20 is a scripture that's used wrongly many times. Sometimes it's used that Jesus is standing at the heart of the sinner knocking, trying to get in so they can go to heaven. No. Now this, this is Jesus standing at the, at the door of the church of people, actually in the church, and calling upon them to repent and be zealous. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now that is a blessing there couched within this calling upon us to repent. Verse 21 is part of the blessing. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ is the thing that we're after here, right? That's why we come here, to have fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ. That is the best thing, this side of heaven, that anyone can have. It's better than all the land, all the gold, anything else that you could have on this earth would be fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ because He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord of Glory. He brings great peace into our lives. Now, as we look at this church, we see their problem. Their, their, it's their works. And they have need of nothing. Is there anybody here this morning that is in need of nothing? <laughs> Did you do any praying this week for something? <laughs> so if we as you know, people, individual people, are in need of nothing, why would we think that there would be a church or church members that are in need of nothing concerning the church itself? So if this morning, if you were to paint a picture of the layout of sins and we were to become specific about the things that uh, they're lukewarm about, how would you paint this picture this morning? How would you paint a picture of the layout of sins? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you seven things that I think that uh, they need to change. And you may come up with more than seven, but they're in need of nothing. So let's see some things that they might be in need of that they're not mentioning. First of all, I would be thinking that they didn't feel like that they had a need to pray. To pray. If we examined our prayer life, what would we say about it? I know we are, we, a lot of times we're praying for ourselves and for what we want and what we need. But if we were to Think about if we were actually praying for other people or the church. You know, the Apostle Paul began many of his epistles with grace and peace be multiplied. That's the way Peter started it. Or Paul would say grace unto you and peace be multiplied. But we should all be praying for grace and peace in the church. That's something that we should pray for every single day. Uh, Jesus Christ gave us a model prayer. And uh, he said, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give God glory every day. Give us our daily bread. That's 
Well, we've all got that. I mean, <laughs> we've, we've all got enough bread for the day. So he's been faithful in that. Amen. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That might be something good to pray about to forgive some people and ask God to forgive us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So, you know, if we didn't know anything to pray about, let's just say you knew nothing to pray about that was good. Jesus has given us a model prayer that we can go down through there and we can actually read that and we can pray for those very, very things. But you know, when you come to church, I appreciate the prayer this morning to help me preach, but do you, when you come to church, do you ask, ask the Lord to bless the message? You're asking the Lord to bless the messenger that when you come here, that this message is going to be the very thing you need today. You need to hear this very message and ask the Lord for that. Or to pray also that the Holy Ghost is going to be there. The Holy Ghost is going to be there and He is going to enable the minister to speak. He's going to bless it to your heart and soul that we'll be able to verily feel the presence of God. Now, if we don't pray for those things, I'll ask you a question. Do you do those things in your personal life? Do you just go places and you don't pray about things or... You don't pray for a job or you don't pray that things will go well at your work or in your marriage or anything else. No. We don't just show up and expect things to happen. It, you know, I think you know, we can show up. I'm, I've done it before. I've been a member of the church for many years. And I'd come to church and I didn't say a prayer about it. And I guess in my own mind, I just figured the Lord was just going to do it. Magically, everything was just going to happen. And Thank God for His grace because by His grace, He did open my ears to hear some truth. But what I'm saying is, is we should be prayerful about many things in our life that we might be overlooking. We don't want to be like the layout of sins and just be lukewarm in our prayer life. Well, there's another thing that I think that we might find in their life in that church is they may not have been thankful. You know, being thankful is something that Jesus Christ taught us, that we're always supposed to be thankful, to remember the things that the Lord has done for us. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ died for me and put away my sins, and I'm careful to thank Him for it. Have you ever thanked the Lord Jesus Christ for dying for you? If somebody died for you and saved your life one day, you were, you were driving down the road and your car had an accident and you were burning up inside that car and somebody came over and tore that door off and rescued you, would you have taken the time to thank them that they saved you from burning up? Amen. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. He saved you from burning up. But I wonder how many times we've actually stopped and thought about His suffering and thanked Him for what He has done for us. Sometimes rather than being thankful and looking back and seeing the blessings that God has given us and the many times that He has delivered us out of something, and you think sometimes where you would be today had it not been for Jesus Christ intervening, and we weren't thankful for it. Amen. Marilyn was telling me something she read from Charles Haddon Spurgeon the other day. He said, we have a tendency to write our sorrows and losses in concrete and our blessings in sand. Amen. Yeah, that's right. You wake up in the morning and think about all the negative things that's ever happened to you in your life? Do you mull those over on a daily basis all through the week? All the bad stuff that's happened to you? Or do you get up rejoicing and say, Lord, look what you delivered me from. 
thank you for all of the things that you have done for me in my life. You know, I, I, when Marilyn told me that, I started doing that. <laughs> because I'm just like you guys. Right. I can get on the negative. I think negative sometimes. Yeah. Start thinking about how everything I need to fix in my life, in my family. And you dwell upon that all day long and all do you know, I mean and you're just you're depressed. Right. No wonder we're depressed. Right. We're gonna be depressed if we think about depressing things, all the negative, sad things that's ever happened to us in our life, all of our losses. Why not think about the things that the Lord has done for us and given us in our life? Amen. You can go from down in the valley to up on the mountain. You can go from sorrow to gladness in your life when we take the time to be thankful. I don't think the Laodiceans were thankful for anything. God was ready to throw them up. I've done all this stuff for you guys. I've died for you. I've done all this and you're not even thankful. Well, maybe they had number three problem. They didn't have a need to forgive anybody. (laughs) You know, I imagine everybody here has someone in their life that they need to forgive. Who is that for you this morning? I have. I think that that is one of the hardest things for God's people. And that is to forgive. Peter said, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, I say unto thee, 70 times seven. Well, that means that there's basically... Somebody might be counting up the number, but basically Jesus is saying there's no end to the amount of forgiveness that we should have for everybody. And it's hard. Especially when you know somebody has purposely done you wrong. They've purposely tried to ruin you, said things about you that are not true. It's hard to forgive them. But Jesus says, you know, if we don't forgive them, your heavenly Father will not forgive you of your trespasses. Now, I don't know about you, but I need Jesus, my Heavenly Father, to forgive me for some trespasses. So I'm going to be looking around for somebody I can forgive. And I'm thinking, Lord, if I forgive them, will you please forgive me for some of the things that I've done in my life? Well, the fourth thing that they probably needed to be zealous of that they didn't do, they probably didn't even read their Bibles. Well, why should they have to? They knew everything. (laughs) They have need of nothing. (laughs) Anybody here like that? Anybody here doesn't need to read their Bible? Raise your hand. I just want to see if there's anybody here that doesn't need to. Well, we're all in agreement. We all need to read our Bibles. (laughs) Do you know that's one of the main reasons that a lot of people believe false doctrines? They don't read their Bibles. They just let somebody like me stand in the pulpit and tell them what to believe. The Apostle Paul said that the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they read their Bible, searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. Amen. Here you've got the Apostle Paul, called of God, written uh, 13 epistles in the New Testament, and he was preaching to them, but they weren't going to believe it unless it was in the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> That's what you ought to be. That's right. Anything that comes from this pulpit, get your Bible out and read it. Don't tell me how much you know. Don't tell me I'm preaching something wrong. You get your Bible and prove it. And if you find something wrong, I want you to tell me. Because if I'm preaching something wrong from this pulpit, I definitely want to know about it. I definitely want to know. 
You know, I think some people that they learn about God's grace, they know how they were saved, they rejoice in it, and they think, well, that's that's the end of line for me. That's all I need to know. <laughs> I understand God's grace. I know more than the ones down the street. That's all I need to know. <laughs> no, that's not all you need to know. <laughs> you know, reading the Word of God brings you into fellowship with the Lord Himself. There's no better way than to fellowship with the Lord than to reading the Word of God. Some people, well, they've got a copy of Jesus Calling on their coffee table and they're reading Jesus Calling, but they don't read the Bible. You know? Commentaries are okay. But God did not inspire commentaries. That's right. He inspired His Word for His people to read. It's written on about a sixth grade level, and I think most of us here are beyond that. You can understand it. You need to read it. When you read it, pray about it. Ask the Lord to give you an understanding of it, and I believe that He will. Amen. And you'll never read it enough because every time you read it, you find something new. You may have read that passage 15 times, and on the 16th time, you find something you didn't see the first 15 times, and you'll rejoice in it. That's Great fellowship is found in reading the Word of God. And when He gives you something that you didn't know, you know He was there with you, don't you? He gave me that just now. I love it when I'm studying and, and He gives me something I didn't know in the Bible. I think, there's a sermon in that. <laughs> and He just gave it to me. And I've been reading that thing for years. Brings us into fellowship with the Lord. Well, I'll give you number five. They're in need of nothing, so... I guess they didn't need to uh, be kind to other people and say an encouraging word to anybody, but they did want to hear that from everybody else. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how that we, we can uh, forget that we are to encourage one another? The Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Colossae to encourage, or Thessalonica, to ch- encourage one another. We all need encouragement. The person sitting next to you needs to be encouraged. Your husband needs to hear something good from the wife. The wife needs to hear something good from the husband. As church members, we're living in a very dark world, as Brother Murray mentioned in his prayer. We need to be encouraged as God's people. We take for granted the people around us, the way they might serve us. We We need to encourage one another. Turn the book of Colossians, if you will, for just a moment. It's uh, over here. And I want you to see something interesting that I came across. It's right before 1 Thessalonians. If you'll notice in this book, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing this letter, he actually mentions the church at Laodicea. Notice what he says in verse 16. And when this epistle is read among you, Cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So we know this was a church. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians. And I guess rather than writing another letter, he just said, read this letter over at Laodicea. Now where am I going with this? I want you to read what he said to the church at Colossae because I just got through telling you that um, we need to be kind and encouraging to one another. Notice what he said. Now, when you read these epistles, you need to know that this is something that God is saying through the apostles to this church. Notice in chapter 3, verse 8, 
This is what he says to Colossae and that he's saying to Laodicea. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then in verse 12 he says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. This was written to this church that didn't need anything. And apparently this is something that they needed because the apostle is writing it to them. They really had need of nothing, or they thought in their own eyes. Number six. I got two more for you. Now I'm sure you can come up with some others. They had no need to make an acceptable offering to the Lord. Apparently they were pretty covetous. I remember one person told me one time, they said, well, my relative gives a whole lot, and so I don't really need to give anything. I'm thinking, does he, pray, does he say your prayers for you? <laughs> does he repent for you? <laughs> you know, giving is not as some people would think. It is an act of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ for what He has done for us. For what He has done for us. That's one of the problems of Israel in the Old Testament. God blessed them, gave them a land of milk and honey. They possessed homes they didn't build, wells they didn't dig, pastures. He just gave it to them. And He just asked them, make an acceptable offering for what I'm giving you. I remember visiting a church in another state and it's amazing how some places can let their building or where they worship the Lord just go to nothing. And one guy was bragging about this new tractor he bought. It was like an $80,000 tractor. had a cabin and air conditioning on it. And to get into that church, you actually stepped up on a rock to walk into the church. I thought, if I had an $80,000 tractor, I don't think I would let a rock be the step that I got up into the church building. The bathrooms are out back. Our churches should be as nice as our homes. I don't think any of them had an outhouse out back, but they did at their church. Right. Well, one thing they did say, they had an excuse. And that rock was put there by their grandparents. Now, you know, we can worship the building and we can worship the things in the building that our grandparents did. You know, we've, there's a lot of ways we can find to be covetous and not bring things up to standard like our own house. I'm not saying that we should have a glittering tower made of gold with a gold steeple on it. But we need to be careful about how our worship place looks when visitors come here and what they would think about it. It needs to be as nice as our average home, God's church does. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle says, But I say this, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, 
And he which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Give cheerfully. Not because some preacher got up and beat you over the head for it. You know, we don't preach on money much here, on giving here. We just hope that people in their own hearts are going to give as they should. But I think sometimes God's people need to be taught how they should. You know, we'll ask a lot of questions, but we may not ask that question. <laughs> we don't, I remember somebody telling me about Elder Harold Stumball preached a sermon one time. He said, I'm not going to preach on the Sermon on the Mount this morning. I'm going to preach on the Sermon on the Amount. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. You know, they gave over 10% in the Old Testament. That's a pretty good rule of thumb for you. I'm not going to say that we got a tithe going on around here, but, you know, of what you bring home, that's a pretty good amount to be giving back to the Lord. Some people have a set amount. They've been given that amount ever since uh, they were born. Uh, they've had several raises, but they've never increased the amount that they've given to the Lord. One person was telling me about a sermon that their pastor preached, and he was talking about idols. And uh, they, he was preaching on American Idol. He said, that's your idol, American Idol. And I thought, well, you know what? might be your idol, or my idol. I'll ask you a question. Do you spend more on your cable TV to watch American Idol than you do as your offering to the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know, about 100 bucks, something like that, for your cable TV bill? <laughs> I think some people actually do. They've got a, Their idol is entertainment. And they'll spend more on entertainment every month than they will on the person who died for their sins. God's ready to spew them out of His mouth. He is sick of them, and I don't blame Him. We ought to be giving to the Lord, making an offering far greater than what we spend to watch whatever it is on, as Elder Sonny Powell said this, and I'll say it, on television. <laughs> that's what he called it. Because that's about what it is these days. There's a little widow that Jesus Christ mentions in the New Testament. And she threw in a couple of mites. All the rich people were coming in and throwing their money in, the rich Pharisees. She just threw in a little bit. Which was all she had. That was her whole living for that month. And Jesus uh, looked up, saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury and also a certain poor widow casting in two mites. And said, of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in the offering of God, but she of her penury has cast in all the living that she had. Jesus was watching. Do you not think he's watching us? Just like he's watching that church. He knows if we're covetous. You know, I've said this before. Covetous is something that... You know, you don't outwardly see in a person's life. You may see them committing fornication and adultery and getting drunk and all these kind of things, but covetous is right there in the heart. Nobody knows it. But Jesus knows it. He knows it. He knows how He's blessed you. I think sometimes Jesus, the Lord, gives us a raise, blesses us with something. Not because we ask for it. Just to see what we're going to do with it. Just to test us 
to see if we're going to be faithful and give a portion back to Him. Well, these people had need of nothing. They didn't need to do that. Need nothing. Well, I'll give you one more. Number seven. They didn't even have a need to go to church. (laughs) They didn't need anything. They were probably saying, well, you know, I was there in spirit. Dan and I were discussing this the other day. People have said, well, I was there in spirit. Now, how would that work on your your anniversary? Sweetheart, I was there in spirit, but really I was over at the deer camp or at the fishing or wherever I was. I don't know about you. My wife would probably forgive me. She wouldn't worry about it too much. (laughs) Or your children's ball game or your children's something going on. I was there with you, son, in spirit. But I really wasn't there. Do you think that's pleasing to the Lord? That we just say, I was there in spirit? How does that support the church? I remember my mother had this saying when I was growing up. We were riding down the road one day. We'd been to... Uh, a place got a hamburger and I just threw the paper out the window. She said, don't do that. I said, why not? It's just one piece of paper. She said, well, what if everybody did that? I thought, well, you know, that'd be true. The place would be littered with hamburger wrappers all down the highway if everybody did that. What if everybody was the exact member that you are today? I wonder, would the church be good? Would there be a church? Would there be a church? I was talking to a guy last week, and uh, I said, well, where do you go to church? He said, well, I don't go to church. He said, but me and the Lord are okay. I'm thinking, the Lord put the church down here for His people. Amen. That's right. For us to fellowship with, to worship Him, to make a worthy offering. And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think that you're seeing yourself you're like the Laodiceans. They had need of nothing. But didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and naked. Some people in their own judgment of their own selves pretty high. They've got fellowship with the Lord, but really they don't really have it. They don't have it. They don't have it. Romans 12 and 1, the Apostle Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. Your body. That's more important than your money. Your body. Reasonable service. You know, the Lord's never asked anything unreasonable of His people. Has He ever asked anything unreasonable of you? Never ask anything unreasonable of me. Of anybody. In Hebrews 11, we read of some people that the Lord called to suffer for him. It wasn't unreasonable. Others had, and this is the Faith Hall of Fame where people were taught, read of Abraham and and he was the father of a nation and we read of Moses and everything he did and we read of all those great patriarchs in the Old Testament and the great things that they did for God. The great faith they had. But there's some people back here that had the same faith that they had, but they, they, they weren't a Moses or an Abraham. They didn't build an ark. It says, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. 
they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth because God called them to do so and it was not unreasonable for Him to do it. Isn't that amazing? I wonder if we ask the Lord what He has called upon us to do every day of our lives. This church, the Lord was ready to spew them out of His mouth. I've given you seven things, but I'm sure that's only scratching the surface if it's as bad as the Lord said. I appreciate your attention this morning. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Neil Phelan, Jr., preaching from one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things that are so common in the religion of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.